This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here with another episode. Today, I'm going to begin a little mini-series on some case studies. These are some projects of mine that I've worked on over the last number of years. I really just want to offer these as kind of guidance and encouragement for those getting started in the industry but also just some lessons learned, right? I haven't done anything perfect. Uh, try to learn a little bit from every project. Um, knock on wood, I've done over 20 projects now, and they've all been profitable. But some of them could have been more profitable. Um, some of them were you know, barely worth it. Um, some of them are beyond worth it. And I've learned a little bit over the, the last, uh, I don't know, number of years. I started in real estate investing in 2010. I really started focusing on MHP in 2014. For several years in there, did real estate law and did um, retail development, some single family, some duplex, but um, really MHP since 2014, mostly more primary the last two or three years, I guess now three or four years. But anyway, I want to just cover, I don't know how many of these I'm going to do, maybe four or five, just not going to do repetitive ones. A lot of the business plan, if you will, is uh, the same from one project to the next, but they're not all the same. And there's lots of ways to make money, uh, make money ethically, um, not easily, but a lot of money to make money ethically, uh, morally responsible, and with the risk that is mitigated. And you always want to have that risk-reward analysis going on in your brain. Sam Zell's big on that in his book. Uh, am I being too subtle? He really just gets into, you know, is there risk here? Well, yeah, but if the risk is small and the reward is potentially great, then it might make sense to do it. If the risk is high, you may not want to do it even if the reward is potentially great. So, anyway, the first park I'm going to talk about, this is one in my hometown of Quincy, Illinois. And I advise people to try to start as close to home as possible. You can watch it, you can kick it, you can touch it, you can visit it a little better. You probably know the market. You probably, maybe not the MHP market. You know, I didn't know the MHP market. I didn't even I didn't even recognize how many trailer parks there were in my hometown until we started looking to buy trailer parks. And and then you also can just supervise it better. Now, my dad was my, was my business partner on this, and, and he was local. I was in Kansas City, so I wasn't watching as closely as he was. I wasn't doing the management of the project or pro- property as much. I was doing more financial legal review, uh, operational consulting type stuff, you know, bank relationship, thing like that. But we didn't have investors. This is not a syndication. Uh, didn't have a lot of money to throw at it. Um, what I did on this property that was really valuable was I put together a very detailed business plan. I don't remember how many pages it was, but I mean, it was probably a 20-page binder. And my lender told me, my current lender used to be at a different bank, and I took this to two banks in town. And he told me that they still would use that booklet as like an example. People come in with a back of napkin business plan. Oh, here's here's my project. And he's like, no, no, no. That's like if it all goes right. And, you know, there's the old joke in the banking industry that there's in nowhere in a Microsoft Excel pro forma do you see a bankruptcy. Nobody's business plan includes a bankruptcy. It only includes the rosy rosy picture. But what I tried to do was put, paint an accurate, accurate picture and tried to 
just go through, you know, my strategy, my vision, my implementation of my vision. And and that business plan included um, in the docket, you know, included my resume, included my written business plan, included my, my dad and my background and bio, included our tax returns, our personal financial statements, stuff on the park, you know, our day one budget, our CapEx budget, our implementation to increase occupancy and increase rents and increase value. Um, our resources that we were going to use, you know, strategy-wise and vendor list. We had, oh, we had market research like rent comps. Um, I had a you know detailed pro forma, a discounted cash flow analysis. Um, some of you've seen that on my podcast, or you bought it off my store, or my website. But the bank still uses that to train people in underwriting. Like this is what you know a pro forma is supposed to look like. So what I what I what I, what I lacked in experience. I had in preparation, and it got me loan approval. And what's really cool about this one is this was a 54-pad park, and the purchase price was 695000 It was my first mobile home park, and I got a 100% loan, which was amazing. Now, the the, the powers that be at the bank later changed. Like the, the different guy became president, and I that had more experience, had more net worth, more liquidity, and he never gave me one of those again. It was like, nope. He actually did one other time, I guess, but it was with a uh, cross-collateralization. But 100% finance, my first deal. We put about 80000 in this deal. It was uh, 54 pads, 46 were occupied. It came with four park-owned homes, or nicer park-owned homes, like um, two and three years old. This, we bought this in 14s. These are like 11s and 12s, so they were pretty nice models. The strategy on this was you know, fix the roads. You know, the roads were rough, spend 25, 30,000 on roads, improve the curb appeal, picket fences, rose bushes, improve the tenant home and qual- tenant quality, kick out some bad guys. We had a couple of bad guys in this park, general park cleanup and junk removal, paint some houses. Then we increased the occupancy. We filled up um, all but one. We filled up 53 of the 54 lots. I wish I would have filled all eight. We, we were a lesson learned as we we had a park greeter who lived in the park, and they lived next to a vacant lot, and they, they built like a gazebo on it and had a fire pit, and they had a soda machine out there, and it was like their little hangout spot. And they just begged us, don't fill this lot. So we decided not to, and I didn't have as strong a grasp you know, seven years ago as I do now for the financials of these parks. And I, I thought, oh, it's only 200 a month. It's like, no, it's only 200 a month, you know, times 12 months. So at least do my value here. I mean, here's the, here's the valuation. 200 times 12 times 0.7 equals at an eight cap, 21,000. Only 21,000 of value I gave up. So that was, that was pretty foolish in hindsight. But we increased the occupancy and we increased the rents. Uh, the other thing we we did that was kind of I say I mean not foolish, but it was just it wasn't growth minded, it wasn't scale minded. Was we didn't bring on partners, financial partners for uh, bringing in park owned homes, and we had to demo. So we only filled seven lots, but we really had more than that. We had about twenty houses all in because we had to demo some homes, we bring in some more homes, we bought some homes, people were evicted, we bought some homes at the tax sale, we bought a home from a bank foreclosure. So we we used we regurgitated the same eighty thousand. I didn't have two hundred and fifty thousand to throw at all those homes, so we just regurgitated it and then um, brought one in, sold it over a year, or sold it, rented it for a year, then sold it, and sold it over terms, maybe for two or three years, and then regurgitated the same cash. And that that required us to grow slow, and those park owned homes made it grow slow as well. So not necessarily ideal now. All in, we sold this park in February of 18 for 950000 
And by the time you add up some principal pay down, some some money from the home flip, some money from cash flow, you know, we made about four hundred fifty thousand dollars. So on an eighty thousand dollar equity investment, that's a that's an equity multiple, you know, six six and a half, six point six. So pretty strong. Um, you know, first deal. Uh, now it took several years of um, operation, so it wasn't like we were getting rich on that. Sounds like a big number, but you divide it by two and you spread it out over, you know, three years. It's, it's, it's nice, but you'd not like you made it every month. You were pouring cash in and pouring energy in in the meantime. But that was really the, the business plan. It was just your, your regular blocking and tackling story we all hear from the Frank and Dave boot camp. You know, it was you know, submeter. Oh, we also submeter to water. Submeter to water, increased the rents a little bit. We increased the rent from, I think it was 180, and then we took it to like, 190 wasn't that very big of an increase then we took it the next year to 200 and then i think 205 so we were the rent increases were kind of modest um so we had a combination of rent increase capex beautification um some submetering um we had um just a little you know better operations from a local operator and all in we made you know several hundred thousand dollars so a pretty good deal um, nothing too sexy or earth shattering on that, but, uh, that was our first park and it got us going. That put some you know, hay in the barn, as you will, and gave us a taste for it. And we'd already had a couple others going by then. We actually owned three at the time we sold it. And since sold all three of those right about the same time, actually, but that was the one that, like, okay, we, we executed the business plan. It also had a, a small two acre parcel with it that we didn't need. So we sold that parcel off, made like 15,000. Um, and had to, you know, fight with the seller on some, some surveys, some easement issues, road access. So it wasn't, it didn't have no hair on it by any means. Uh, I remember one quick story on this. I've given you a couple of little lessons learned, but one quick story is, uh, we had a resident that was on Quincy's top 10 wanted and we went to, I was in town. It was like Thanksgiving or something. We went to collect rent and dad and I went up there and the guy came outside Big, huge guy. It was cold out, you know, like 40 degrees. No shoes, no shirt, and jeans. And he's got his arm all bandaged up. He's got wires coming out of him. Like looked like the back of a VCR, like red, white, and blue cords. And he's yelling, I can't pay rent. I already shot one thumb off with a gun, and now I cut another one off at work, and general assistance is giving me the rent check, and I don't have it yet, so get away from me. And it's like, this guy's going to pummel my dad to death. And I sat there in the truck, and I didn't do anything. And uh, he was out there, and he just kept his distance, you know, eight or ten feet away. And he got back in. He looks at me. He's like, where was my backup? And I was just like, Dad, if I'd have gone out there, this would have caused a confrontation. And the guy had killed both of us with a torque wrench. So I decided to just leave you on your own. <laughs> he's like, well, thanks a lot. I go, that way, if he would have killed you, I could have at least called the police. And uh, my dad didn't appreciate my strategy. But I, I thought it was a good idea to not escalate the confrontation with this giant man who uh, had been recently released from prison. Uh, so anyway, uh, live and learn. We, we lived through that park. We sold it. Um, unfortunately, sold it to a private equity group that has mismanaged it from day one. I don't think they've honestly been there. It's, as I record this, it's been almost three and a half years. I don't think they've been there since then. And it shows. You know, it's, it's pretty rare in this industry for homes to be pulled out of a park. But there are numerous homes that are just left on their own, just saying, we don't want to be in this market anymore. So another interesting point from that park now that I'm thinking out loud is I still had 15 of the mobile homes at the time we sold the park. And the bar, the buyer 
their CMBS lender would not allow them to own any park-owned homes. So as a condition to sale, we kept the park-owned homes. And I've sold them off over the years. I still own five or six out there and just been paying a lot rent and using them. I guess I'm your, your I want to say your world's most sophisticated Lonnie dealer. But uh, it was a condition of the sale that I also couldn't move them out, so I didn't take them to other parks. So I've just been selling them when they go vacant rentals. I put them for sale and sell them, and it just takes a few years. I'll probably be done with them all in about another year or two. But I've whittled them down from 15 to, I think, 5. Tax return time is usually pretty good to get a payoff on some of them. But anyway, one deal made several hundred thousand dollars, so it got me excited about the industry, and here I am now. Got my own podcast. What do you know? Thanks. God bless. Have fun. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.